welcome to Galaxy Forum. I'm your host, Melissa Kaplan, and we're here to explore the creativity happening in the LCC galaxy, in our classrooms and on campus, and connecting the work of our stars with our community. It really is almost an absurd understatement, I think, to say that we are inundated with information these days. Most of us have our go-to sources that we trust, or at least mostly trust. How do we know when we're being hoodwinked, even by those trusted sources? And how does this play out for the people who report and publish the news, as well as those who teach it and those who learn about it? That's the focus of our conversation today, media literacy. And I am delighted to welcome our three guests to the studio. Jaden Hewitt, an LCC journalism sophomore and a reporter for the LCC Lookout. Welcome. How's it going? Good. Amy Ewald, LCC's information literacy lead library. I'm so glad that you're here. Thanks for having me. And Burl Schwartz, a reporter and the publisher of the Lansing City Pulse. Thank you. It's nice to uh, be on this side of the microphone from you. Absolutely. Uh, Burl uh, has long had a radio show, and I've had the pleasure of being a guest on that for on many occasions for different circumstances. So it really is great to have each of you with your different experiences and perspectives uh, that you bring to this subject, uh, because we want to talk about the perspectives of information producers and information consumers and how you and each of your roles help navigate this dense landscape. So Amy, I'd like to start with you first. If you could tell us what is media literacy? What does that mean? Media literacy is a, is a set of skills that we use to help us uh, figure out what we're looking at, uh, to help us discern the information. So it's, it's basically a, just a set of skills that we would use to, to help us evaluate what's in front of us and the information that we're looking at. Can you give me an example of some of those skills? Sure. Uh, asking, uh, one of the most important questions I think to ask these days is to ask who's behind the information? Who, who's posting this? Who's writing this? Who's the publisher behind it or the organization behind it? So if we can get at that information, that can help us a lot to figure out, you know, what's fact, what's fiction, what's, uh, what's misinformation or disinformation. And you're, you're speaking as someone who teaches people how to consume maybe the wrong word, but how to assess, how to take in that information. To, to basically be a good consumer of information. So, Burl, what does it, uh, as a publisher from, from kind of the other side, how does, uh, what does that mean to you, media literacy, and how, do you, how does that play out as, you know, in the newspaper and the decisions you have to make? You know, I think uh, paramount uh, is that credibility is everything. And uh, it, it uh, shocks me uh, how easy it is to get misinformation, uh, but people don't take the time to uh, figure out what are reliable sources. And uh, I, you know, I've taken City Pulse from ground zero. We started it 22 years ago. We had no congratulations. Thank you. That's an incredible ac accomplishment. Thank Earl. you. We had no credibility because no one had ever heard of us. And uh, to a place today where uh, we actually are the biggest 
circulation except for the Sunday Journal. We're bigger than the Journal is during the week. And uh, that suggests to me people have voted that City Pulse is credible because they keep picking us up. And City Pulse... um in case any listeners aren't familiar with, how would you describe City Pulse? Uh, It's a genre known as alternative, which begs the question, I guess, alternative to what? I know. (laughs) You know, once upon a time, we were the alternative to the journal, to Mm -hmm. mainstream. Now we're by sort of by default, we are mainstream because we're the surviving, the, the biggest surviving print publication in the market. And and the City Pulse, certainly known for covering the arts and culture, but also providing uh, news coverage uh, and other types of events um, from the entire community, the greater Lansing area. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's no shortage of material to cover. The shortage is finding staff and space and enough advertising to pay for that space to get all the stories out there. Absolutely. So, Jaden, as as a student in journalism, how have you been learning about media literacy? I think the biggest thing so far, I've had to use good media literacy and, you know, figuring out what a good news source is, is um, definitely typing um, papers in school. Um, As a journalism student, I had to um, not create real stories, but I had to use actual information. So finding a big, credible news source as Burl was saying, um, is important. I think not using a random news source that you find on the internet is the most important thing to me. Um, you don't want to be scrolling down uh, on Google and saying, oh, I can use this because it pertains to what I'm doing. I think you need to really evaluate what you're doing. I think even digging deeper into it, um, seeing who wrote it and whether they have some sort of bias or agenda that they're trying to push. Um, I mean, it's not typical that you see that especially in a large newspaper, but you do want to make sure that you're not um, consuming some bad information, especially with your, you know, putting it in a paper is a little bit different. Um, That's within school. Um, But me now working for the lookout, it's a little bit different. I don't want to put out bad information because I don't want to lead people astray. So let me, let me toss in the, the, that, um, a lot of people who are good sources of information have an agenda. And uh, many, many important stories have come from people who have an agenda. Uh, The Pentagon Papers, for example, you know, that clearly was uh, dictated by somebody who wanted to stop the war. Uh, Many uh, investigative stories come from people who are mad at their boss. They Mm. have an agenda. The challenge is to dig enough on the record to verify information. I have a good friend I started with named Bill Marimo, who won two Pulitzer Prizes and never took anything off the record. He just dug and dug and dug. And it's the key is not what is the agenda, but what can you verify? What's factual? Whether it's the truth, (laughs) often that's a coincidence. But if it's verifiable information, I really don't care why the person is is giving me that information. I care about whether it's accurate. Mm -hmm. Amy, you have some 
techniques that you use to to teach that very very thing. Sure, I was thinking of the idea um, of of click restraint. You mentioned, you know, uh, your Google searches and things like that. We often want to run our Google search and we click on one of the first top things that we see. Uh, but it often the good stuff is buried within your search results. So it's often one, two pages deep. So whether you're doing it with um, Google or with an actual source that you're talking to, that idea of you keep digging, you keep going, uh, you, you go a little bit farther, you look at another source, you, you follow that like a breadcrumb trail almost to, to different sources that will lead you different places. So yeah, we call that, that's a, we have a term for that is basically click restraint of, you know, restraining yourself. Don't click on the first thing that you necessarily see. Scan your results. Go into the second page. Um, and, and hopefully then you're, you're going to uncover more information. It's the same idea, too, of, um, you know, there's always a big debate about Wikipedia and things like that. Well, Wikipedia is, is sometimes that might just be your first place. That's the first place that you go. But then you keep going. And you keep going and you find additional sources, you find additional information, you talk to different people, um, and, and then that's how you get to the good stuff. And the debate about Wikipedia is partially because it is um, filled with information from so many different sources. Is that correct? Do I understand right, it correctly? Right, right. And it's the idea that... Uh, Community-created... Community-created content, things like that. Um, but, but you do often see... Most a good Wikipedia article will have sources at the bottom that, again, following that trail. Uh, so you might start there, but keep going. And you've also talked about something called lateral reading. Yeah, lateral reading is, a, is something that you can do when uh, you're not sure really of what you're looking at. You're not sure of the website that you're looking at. You're, it, it belongs to an organization. It's a .org. Uh, many years ago, I've been doing this for about 10 years, and we would say, oh, organizations, you know, good. <laughs> you use .org websites. Uh, but now we realize organizations, they can put any type of information up there for you. So if you're ever looking at something and you're not sure about it, um, get off of what you're looking at. Open up a new tab in your browser or, you know, go to a different place. And then you, this is where you get to use your Google skills, too. <laughs> <laughs> so open up the tab in your browser, look um, and, and run a Google search on the organization that you were just looking at. Find out what others are saying about them. Um, has there been any reporting on that it, that on that organization? Is and I'm picking on organizations right now, but um, you it's could, individuals too. And you could do this with an author if you're if you're not sure who they are, where you know what's behind them, what are their credentials. Um, Google them, find out about them. So the idea of lateral reading is to basically get off of what you're looking at and then kind of do your research about that source or, or that particular page. You know, uh, what you're talking about doing needs to be done to evaluate news organizations as well. What we're seeing today are news organizations funded by secret money. I lost a reporter recently. He's being paid double what I was paying him to go to work for something called Michigander. Who funds Michigander? His guest, George Soros, funds Michigander. The employees don't even know who's paying them. They have a motive. Their motive is to win 
the White House in 2024. Stories are meant are targeted at voters who strayed uh, to Trump. This may all be things we some of us agree with politically, but is it news when you can't even determine who's paying for it? Yeah, that's a. I mean, it, it, to me, that used to be public relations, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and and that's what you would expect to 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 see from a, a PR campaign. But it would be clear this is a PR campaign for this platform or this individual or organization or institution. And uh, yeah, it's it's not clear now. And so, which leads me to something we hear all the time about fake news and real news. And to me, that's that's a little bit part of media literacy. How do you determine? I mean, you, you're talking about verifying uh, what's factual. You're talking about understanding where um, the identity of a source. But how do you, de- you know, how do you determine what's factual? Burl, how do you de- discern between fake and real? Well, as I talked about earlier, you, news organizations establish credibility over time. You have to come to trust, not that they don't make mistakes, but you come to trust the New York Times. You come to trust the Washington Post. You come to trust major news organizations that over the course of time have uh, maybe made mistakes, but, uh, but they generally get the information as correct as it is possible to do it. You know, that doesn't, that doesn't mean there aren't new, nor, new organizations that can come along. Uh, you know, I worry as much uh, about uh, the ownership of organizations uh, because, uh, first of all, as I just mentioned, there's secret ownership now. Secondly, some of this ownership is in it for nothing but money. Uh, Gannett is now owned by an investment corporation. They've retained the name Gannett. Our local newspaper is is owned basically by people who are there just to reach a bottom line. And what we see, I haven't seen this with Gannett or the State Journal, but I've seen in other communities a perfectly good newspaper that suddenly is printing press releases without any sort of editorial, without editing. They just put them in the paper as if they're news stories. Uh, You know, so you have to, I think, go with news organizations that are long established Once upon a time, uh, when I was growing up, you had Walter Cronkite, John (laughs) Chancellor, and uh, Peter Jennings, Huntley and Brinkley. The world came down, basically, America came down to three television networks, but they were founded on the backs of journalists like Edward R. Murrow, who risked their lives to, to get information for us. And I think people forget how how the backbone of journalism remains, the Times, the Post, uh, even the Wall Street Journal, whether you agree or disagree with its editorial page, they run an honest newsroom. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. I I think that's that's very true. I, I read something today that, you know, 
and uh, so what I was going to say about lateral reading is, yeah, you can easily do that with publications too. You know, you don't, you're, you're not familiar with the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times or the Telegraph or something like that. Um, and, and that happens a lot when, when we land on websites, because most of us are doing, you know, Google searches or things like that. And we land on a website like the Telegraph, and we're not sure what that publication is, you can easily Google that and find out, you know, a little bit more information about that. But um, going back to what you just said, too, was about, um, I, I think, some of these large news organizations like the Times and the Wall Street Journal and that, um, the, these are institutions that, you know, they're, they're paying fact checkers. <laughs> they have a, you know, they have a large commitment to, you know, getting, getting to the truth and honest journalism. Um, you know, they have clearly marked editorials and opinion pages. Uh, they have proofreaders and, you know, they're striving for that transparency. And, you know, I, the quote that I read today said that uh, good process and good reporting go a long way you know, to mitigate that maybe a personal bias that um, a reporter might have. But if you have a good process in place and you have a good, um, you know, those longstanding trustworthy sources, then it goes a long way, I think, in, in mitigating this idea of fake news and things like that. Yeah. yeah. Jaden, I'm so interested as a, as a budding journalist, um, how this sits with you. And if, if you've um, actually ever been in a situation where you've questioned the truth of a source and and how you handled that so i'm going to take it back to um high school actually so i was able to um my school offered a fantastic class it was centered around media literacy um so that's kind of where i started learning about that um my first thing that i learned about was looking at what is a neutral source and what is a source that is left or right right leaning um politically or just in any type of uh situation i think that was the first thing i wanted to go through um, when finding a good source and then carrying it over to college. Um, where I've learned good media literacy in college, but I think um, finding sources like they were referring to lateral, um, you want to be able to dig into the organization or to the person um, that is posting this information. I think when it becomes cloudy is where you want to kind of back out of it. I think social media is the main thing that we look into now that talks about fake news. Um, which is, it talks about fake news, and that's also where a lot of the fake news is coming from. Um, it's also hard for students now and younger people to discern what is fake news and what's not fake news. Um, I think you need to start, instead of clicking on a Facebook link or sharing the Facebook link, um, and I think it's great now, Instagram, I have not, I don't know if anybody's noticed, but they now have a fact-checking source on there. Um, they've been fact-checking information, which I think is great. And I think the place I noticed that the most is the uh, pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic, is where we see a lot of fake news stuff going around. And I think that's where I learned about it the most on social media, um, is discerning between what's real about COVID-19 and what's not real about COVID-19. And I think having a fact checker, um, as she was referring to, is great for um, organizations because I think it's hard for a journalist to get all the information and know that's verifiable for them. It's you can do your best at it. Um, I surely do my best at it. And I know Burl does his best at that. But as, at sometimes you may not have a verify or a great verifiable source. So you want to figure out whether that's real or not real. Does the lookout have a fact checker? We don't. We have two editors, so that uh, those are our fact checkers, and I, mm -hmm. they do very good at that. Um, yeah. We are kind of our own personal fact checkers as well. Um, I haven't reported on anything too crazy so far <laughs> to where I've had to fact check a lot of stuff, 
Um, but you do want to make sure you got everything right before you put out bad information to people because you don't want to be labeled as um, a fake news source. Um, you want to build credibility, such as Bro was saying. You, as a news organization, you want to build that credibility so people can look into you um, and use you as a source at some point. You know, I use you know Washington Post or New York Times as a news source. Um, at some point, you want the paper that you're working for to be um, a verifiable news source for people as well. So that's great. Quick follow up: Have you experienced uh, learning media literacy in any of your other courses that aren't journalism? English, English class. Um, when you're writing, um, say something, something sort of um, history based in English class, you really want to make sure that information is correct. I mean, I know it's class and it's not going out to the public but you still want to make sure that information is correct. You can get doc points for that. Hmm. Um, and you also just want to learn good media literacy as well uh, because when you do out go out in the real world, um, whatever job you're in, you want to make sure you're reporting real information to people. So that's being taught when you're taking English or history. Yes, it's yes. kind of being folded in there. That's good. And I was going to ask you, Amy, too, if that's been your experience at LCC or if you are – helping and providing expertise to faculty? Uh, you know, we do, we'll provide information literacy instruction to really anybody at the college or the LCC community. Uh, mainly we work with a lot of classes, um, English classes in particular, uh, that are incorporating those sources, learning how to do research really. Um, and so, so we'll work with them. We also uh, have worked with, uh, one of our librarians just did a presentation for, uh, the business BCI, uh, business and community Institute. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> um, and so she just did a presentation to their staff about how to find information about business and businesses and things like that. So, uh, yeah, most definitely English classes are, are a good place to get your lessons on media literacy. So this is Barilla, slightly, it's not fully off topic of media literacy, but it's something that, that, that we corresponded just a little bit about in terms of, of how, as a publisher, uh, a publisher of the City Pulse, uh, whether it's truly alternative or it is our alternative choice in town, how do you decide what is news for a particular issue, given the wealth of goings-on uh, in all arenas in this you community. Know, we, of course, we're a newspaper. We want to be first. But there are two different ways to be first. One is to break the story, but the other is to do a better story. And we tend to not follow the pack. We'll sometimes do stories that have been covered because months later we're able to do it in more depth. But uh, we're trying to... Uh, put stories out there that uh, aren't available uh, or aren't available in depth in other local media. I wanted to say quickly about social media, be very careful on the local level because what you're often seeing is unedited material posted by a reporter who oh. is rushing to get home to get dinner or whatever. It, it, uh, you mean reporters who might post on their personal feeds, or who post will post to post a story on their uh, newspaper website? We don't do that. But if you look and you say newspaper television, uh, those are being written uh, and posted without uh, great care mm. uh, as far as fact checking. 
even though they are under the the you know moniker of that particular uh, news organization. Okay, that's good. Good point. Um, another quick question in another direction for you, Burl. Uh, as a employer, how has all this information and the need to you know, assess, the need to assess accuracy and verify facts has always existed. That's not new. It's the abundance and the variety of sources, and the that that's to me that's that's really changed. How, as an employer, does that impact what you look for in in um, a reporter? Well, uh, I'm I rarely hire. Uh, somebody right out of college who has not at least interned with me so that I can get a sense of, is that person careful? Uh, and, you know, ideally, I like to, at our level, hire somebody with a couple of years' experience uh, who has a, a track record. Uh, even then, we make mistakes. Sure. Uh, people fool you. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I don't worry about occasional errors. In fact, if you look at the New York Times every day, and I think page two, they'll run four or five corrections. Uh, journalists, you know, in dealing with so much information, you're going to make mistakes. Uh, what, I, what I worry about is the reporter who uh, is uh, constantly battling uh, getting things straight, who can't seem to uh, uh, get under the story. You can't can't understand the story, and, and if you can't understand it yourself, uh, the public's not going to understand it, and you're probably going to have incorrect information. That's a good point. Boy, the time has flown. We have <laughs> just a minute, maybe thirty seconds each. If you want to share a final thought before I wrap it up, Jaden. I think um, one thing I wanted to go off of Burl's point. Um, on the fast, quick reporting, I think that leaves a lot of pieces to be filled in. And I think um, for all other journalism students and people in journalism, I think that's something they need to look into as well, is maybe um, writing a good story rather than getting the first story out. Good point. Amy? Um, you know, I was just thinking of, of just a few tips to, to help detect bias, too, in, in a news story. Um, you know, when you see things, sort of buzzwords and a lot of jargon, um, almost even insulting kind of things, uh, really one-sided opinions, um, one, one way to think. And that's that's the only way that's being presented. I, I actually read an article in the, the City Pulse this morning, um, and it had to deal with um, some of our local candidates here uh, in, in Ingham County. And they spoke to the reporter spoke to uh, people that support a uh, few people that were in support of the, the one candidate. And then they spoke to a few other people that were in support of the other candidate. So that that balanced reporting, you didn't hear just all of one side. You you heard from both sides of the of the issue. So I think those are just some quick tips uh, when you're looking at a good news story. It Thank should you. really just be reporting um, on the facts of, of what happened, what what's taking place and, and give you that balanced perspective. Good point. Thank you, Amy. Appreciate that. Burl, 10 seconds. We worry too much about fake news on the national level. We don't worry enough about what's happening in our own community. There is not enough coverage. Uh, look how long it took to find out a wonderful story that 
LCC spending $600,000 to fix up a building. It was approved last June. We found out about it by word of mouth. Yeah, yeah, great point. Great conversation, everybody. Thank you so much, Burl Schwartz. My pleasure. Amy Ewald and Jaden Hewitt. Really appreciate you you taking the time to explore this subject today and and enlighten uh, us all. And thank you, our listeners, for tuning in to listen to other episodes of Galaxy Forum and all the LCC Connect programming. Visit lccconnect.org. Special thanks to our technical producer today, Lane Ingram, and to Andy Callis for composing our theme music. I'm Melissa Kaplan. And this is Galaxy Forum on LCC Connect.